Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Eric Mack again with Liberally Correct. I almost forgot the name of our podcast because it has been so long since we have recorded an episode. It's been more than a month. So, Brett Madsen, how are you? How I'm you, doing pretty well. Uh, did you disappear from the earth like I did? Uh, no, I did not disappear from the earth because I did not start a new job. So, congratulations I, uh, well, on that. Well, oh, thank you. My, uh, my job is actually on one of those uh, planets they discovered. That's like four, only 40 light years away. My my commute's not so bad. Um, So I've been, I've been checking out those new worlds and James Cameron uh, has uh, a a trilogy (laughs) based on, on, on each one of those planets. As long as Um, there are eerie blue people. (laughs) I want it to be upsetting. You know, I'm not interested. I was watching, uh, I was watching the, uh, the Oscars the other night and, um, saw a commercial for I I totally forgotten about this but I saw a commercial for that they're opening like Avatar Land or something at at Disney World. And, yeah, uh, that would that would make sense. Or it's it's either Disney World or Universal or or maybe it's its own thing, I don't know. I don't really care. It's its own it's its own theme park. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah. good. I'm glad we talked about that for a while. <laughs> yes. What's yes. the topic of uh tonight's so, liberally correct? I think when I'm, I'm trying, actually, I should have gone back and checked. But like, we we initially set out to do this like uh, saga on the media, and I think we we started that like back in December. I think we did. And, uh, we did shortly uh, after the election. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we got kind of uh, derailed a little bit. We uh, we had a guest on in our previous episode, and now we're finally getting to it. So we did. A couple episodes on just uh, social media and online media, and then uh, we did another episode on TV news and TV media, and now finally going to close this great and epic saga that beats 
anything James Cameron's ever done by by bringing, bringing, were told. yes by bringing the climax to print media to the, oh yeah okay. I thought you were gonna say by bringing the climax to the climax I thought you'd gotten yourself in that little linguistic oh. corner but um, you got out okay it was it was just in my head well this is so much better than uh, this is even better than the um, what was it like the steel uh, factory or the steel mill or whatever at the end of Terminator 2. I don't know what is better than the end of Terminator 2. That I mean that in life generally, but I don't know what you're talking about right now. Yeah. This well that's 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 where this podcast is right now. We're in that we're, oh, we're, we're in that the... we're in that we're in that scene with uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. A frozen uh, liquid metal terminator getting shot up and then forming back together. Yeah. So is so this uh, is the liquid metal terminator Donald Trump? Is that what we're getting out here? Possibly, possibly, or it's Putin. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think the liquid metal terminator is Mitch McConnell. Oh gosh, it can't um, it can't be killed. It can't be stopped. It never speaks well, he's above. Too, he's too reptilian to be. Uh, he he has to be like a Pandora native. He's <laughs> got to be on uh, on Pandora. This is so, uh, this is just an advertisement for James Cameron so far. Yeah. So let's get into to print. We've kind of in talking about social media and and broadcast media, we kind of talked about print as well. It's kind of impossible not to. There's the uh, the barriers have kind of been eliminated between all these different types of media now. So maybe let's start with. You and I, I think, I think we both mentioned in in previous episodes that we we both grew up, you know, having a newspaper delivered to our houses, right? Oh yeah, I um, loved it. Yeah, I, well, I knew for, all for you. It was especially... what, it was what Miami Herald or Fort Lauderdale? No, no, the uh, the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Oh yes, yes, I forgot about that one. I actually worked for them in high school. It was, yeah. it was fun. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you probably thought that was like some kind of prestigious gig to like work at. Uh, work at a newspaper like and now oh, it was fun but i mean we were yeah. high schoolers I, I thought maybe working at a newspaper might be a prestigious gig but in our department it was just fun yeah because you know we were children nice okay so growing up in maryland everybody either had the baltimore sun or the washington post so you could kind of take your pick of the two and uh i know my grandparents who live close by got the baltimore sun and we got the washington post so, yeah, I I I I I would say the Washington Post was better. Still, was okay. Better. Glad that we glad that we yes. cleared that up. Oh, I, I love that experience. Actually, I I, I always loved uh, newspapers. I loved actually spreading them all out. I would sometimes have like four different sections because I, I wanted my movie reviews. And when they had those, I was always excited on Friday. They had like the local critic because this is you know this is uh, the Boca Raton area, and then I'm growing up. They had the local critic like buried amidst all these tales of like elderly Jews going out to eat, which was half of the weekend section. And <laughs> the other half was mostly advertisements and there'd be like one movie review. I was very excited about the movie review. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I like the, I like the ritual of, uh, yeah, of, of, actually, of basically disassembling the thing. Yeah. There was but, something, uh, there was something satisfying about everything being, uh, contained like that. Yeah. That yeah. I, that I really do miss. I mean, obviously, uh, having all this kind of instant access and notifications sent to your phone and stuff 
now that we have that, I I wouldn't necessarily trade that. You know, case in point was when I got a notification from the Washington Post earlier about like this thing with Jeff Sessions with some Russian ties uh, that he neglected to mention at his swearing in or whatever or his what do you call that? Where, where confirmation he, hearings. Yeah, confirmation hearings. There we go. Yeah, um, uh, Al Franken directly asked him if he had. Yeah. Al Franken uh, in person, and um, I'm forgetting the other senator who asked him in uh, in text, and both times he said no, specifically and directly. Yeah, yeah. weird so, thing. Yeah, with that kind of, obviously, uh, the, the way podcasts work, not a great idea to sort of hash out some sort of current events kind of stuff, but, but that's just an example of, you know, it is it is like pretty cool to just get a notification like that on your phone. Especially when it's something like that when you really want to see it. Yeah, no, this this is a useful example since we're talking about print media. There are many things that it can't do that the other forms of media can or that it can only do by linking itself to the other forms. Like a lot of the news stories that you get from a reputable news source come through Facebook or some other conglomerate now. That's just the way it works. You're not going to them directly necessarily to find your news. It's just It's just... It's, it generates content, and you're part of a content aggregator, and you get the content. That's how this happens. At the same time, they're doing things that nobody else is doing. The Washington Post and the New York Times have been just relentless with the reporting on the White House since the inauguration, even leading up to the inauguration, and it's been wonderful. CNN is not dropping exclusives like that. The the comedy um, shows, the you know, the left-leaning comics that I like so much, uh, like Seth Meyers and John Oliver, they are just repeating or commenting on what happens in the news. They're not actually sending, you know, they're not actually uh, meeting with anonymous sources somewhere in Washington, right? The, the It's actually really these two newspapers are getting most of the material that we have on the new administration. So there are things they can't do. They can't reach you as directly as they used to unless you want to be reached or support their mission almost like a charity. Yet at the same time, they're doing work that no one else seems to be capable of doing. It's a strange dichotomy. Yeah. It's kind of interesting you mentioned uh, CNN because I think, you know, obviously it became a, a go-to play for Trump to just sort of label anything that he didn't like or doesn't like still. as He's yeah. still like, okay, <laughs> that's fa- you're, you're, like- you're fake news. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I think the first time he did that was to a CNN reporter who was like sitting right in front of him and was kind of badgering him. Yeah. I, I think, I think it was, I think CNN was kind of the first. Yeah. But, but um, obviously CNN, what I'm other, saying is others, others have been added to the pile. Yeah. But my point there is for reasons that may have to do with the nature of being on CNN. Yeah. Having your, your face out in public. They're not, it's not that what the reporting is incorrect or bad or that they're necessarily doing a bad job. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. It's that they're not doing the kind of in-depth, off-the-record investigations that the New York Times and the Post are doing right now with the administration. Yeah, that um, is that is a good point because yeah, due to the yeah the nature of TV is so public-facing and has a more interactive and I don't know about participatory, but I mean they actually actually I kind of take that back. Because now they they're constantly trying to get you to you know tweet hashtag this and then we'll read your comments on the show or you know that kind of bullshit where the anchors like respond to your tweets. Um, hey, let's we got a studio. 
we're, we're paying this person $2 million to be on the air in the middle of a Tuesday. Okay, cool. Everything's let's have, good. Let's have them All right, answer, now let's see answer tweets. <laughs> yeah, let's let's read Twitter. Let's see what's happening. There. Yes, but but yeah, so, you're, but, you're you're right though that that yeah, be, due to the nature of like just the fact that newspapers even still to this day, even though now things are swinging massively toward digital, there's still a wall that they can kind of hide behind. Like reporters are essentially faceless when they're at uh, newspapers. Yeah. And this is the thing that's interesting to me is that there's no reason that that shouldn't be possible with an online only publication, right? In theory, all right. Well, we just instead of having a giant skyscraper, we have we don't have as connected offices, we don't have as big a budget for uh, traditional overhead because we don't need that. We're just a website. We can do the same kind of reporting, and I think that will be what good news organizations of the future look like. And certainly, there are some like that now. But for the most part, the ones who are really getting the getting the good stuff, doing this solid reporting, are still coming from this this kind of old world. Yeah, and um, there's yet even, the old even, world is dying. So. Even though there are still some, there's there are some online only, um, and that started as as websites. There there are some good uh, publications like like Politico. I think is one that I would consider to be reputable, even though I, I don't really look at Politico all that much. Daily Beast, I think, is, um, I think they have some, some really good content over there um, in terms of in terms of writers and analysis. Like that, that the uh, the editor-in-chief, John Avalon, who's, who's on CNN all the time, I think is, and, and who actually wrote a book recently about George Washington's farewell address. Uh, you know, th- those are examples, I, I think, Okay, so first of all, Daily Beast used to be, I think, associated with Newsweek. So maybe it gets a little, maybe that's why it gets kind of a, a bump in uh, perception. I don't know if they're associated with them anymore. But but yeah, there are, when it comes to those online-only publications, they have to kind of beat this stigma of, hey, you started as an online-only thing, and whenever you see somebody from an online only publication on TV, it always kind of seems like that they're there to get attention so that their publication can seem more legitimate or that their website can seem more, <laughs> seem more legitimate. That, that's how it always comes across. And yeah, it's things of, I mean, it's not, it's not the fact that somebody prints something on paper and delivers it as a product. I don't know if that, necessarily may, means their reporters are any better or more honest or but for some reason that's the perception well i don't know that it's for some reason I, I one i think that perception is earned and two it's because that's where the infrastructure is that's true that, that's all the reporting that was it's new it's not new for uh, well okay so let me back up here the internet is an extremely new thing in human history so when i say it's new or it's old, I'm talking within this tiny, tiny era of history where we have the internet. So in the last 15 or so years, it's new for news organizations that are just based online to be good. That's, that's pretty new. That's only been happening, what, five, six, seven years, maybe half that time of this very small sliver of history? Online, online only? No, they, they've, they've had that. No, no, but no, no, online only sources being starting to hang with the uh, the big boys, hang with the print reporters. I mean, this is a qualitative um, statement. I would, say, this, I, would say t- I would say 10 years. Okay. I think, I think the, Huffing- the Huffington Post was like one of the first uh, 
kind of um, news sites to really get traction like that. But weren't they primarily at the outset like just content aggregators? Right, you didn't pay the the whole controversy was people realized, oh my God, the internet just doesn't pay people. <laughs> it well, reduces the value of creation. No, the, the they did that to some extent. That was part of how they generated content in, to begin with. But they also, I mean, due to the like, they had like a really good infrastructure of just it was more of just kind of a networking thing where they just they had access to a whole bunch of celebrities and high profile people who would write for the site and that would that would get them eyeballs and then if you have enough eyeballs then you can and you you know you're making enough money and then you can actually pay people to be reporters so so it comes it, around slowly it, interesting yeah i mean it, i mean it's a good strategy and ariana huffington eventually cashed out and sold to aol oh that's one of those companies i forget still exists yeah i, I it was a few years back but I, was, I remember reading something about how yahoo is still worth like a pretty big chunk of money just kind of because because it was around at the right time yeah, i was wondering that too because i saw that like verizon was gonna like buy him out for like four billion dollars or something and i was like well what does yahoo do that's worth four billion dollars yeah you're like all right they something must have an like office that. building somewhere they probably got like a lot of servers maybe I mean, a few contracts of really, some engineers I mean, the reality, or <laughs> The reality of it is they have a huge database of, of of users, probably mostly inactive, but throughout Yahoo's entire history, 20 plus years now, that if they sell to Verizon, Verizon will just tap into that giant. It's, it's like a, it, they're basically just buying leads so they can sell Verizon stuff. Jesus Christ. That would be probably my take on it. Can't because what else? What's, what's Verizon gonna do? What's Verizon gonna do with Yahoo? And like, they're it's like, whoa, you can play, uh, you know, card games and stuff on, on Yahoo. Hey, don't knock it. Could but you that, imagine that being able a, to that, do that? That was a big thing back in the day. I, I really was that was I was into that. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. the internet was not as fun back then. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't as much to do, life didn't have as much stuff in it. Or had the same amount of stuff, but you were less aware of it. But yeah, like so. Even there, you're talking about uh, how the Huffington Post started. We we you can kind of see this. See, God damn it, I should have done more research before we just started talking here. But I think you're starting to see, occasionally, you're finding hard news outlets that are started online for the purpose of hard news. But I think that's quite recent. Otherwise, you're finding, uh, otherwise you're finding outlets like like fucking BuzzFeed has reporters now. Which is yeah. still weird to me. I'm an old enough man, and I'm still I'm still a little frightened by that. I'm like, isn't that just 39 weird thing, 39 weird foods that look kind of right. like your boyfriend's penis? Right. Isn't that List- the whole listicles? Yeah, <laughs> right. And now suddenly it's now it's the thing. Now now they have reporters, and they've got a guy who has a White House credential. Well, I didn't know that. Th- I didn't is, know that he had one to be revoked. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something I'm learning new things every day. Um, this is this is more like a, a generational thing that I don't think that that but that would horrify those who have come before us, and I think both. I mean, I I mean, I think it would horrify you more than it, than it does me. I've just sort of accepted the reality of it, which is that you know it's, it's almost comical when you look back at like our uh, our schooling and stuff about how like there was this like fear of God about about plagiarizing and. 
all that all that kind of stuff like oh plagiarize it once and you're out you know plagiarism is like the the death knell or whatever you know grim reaper will come after you if you plagiarize and then you get out into the internet where there are essentially no rules so like these sites like buzzfeed a lot of these viral sites that basically just you know like you were saying aggregate others others content that basically they they don't even come up with and then uh, they're so good at promoting it that they can get it to go viral and then drive a bunch of page views and collect ad money for stuff that they don't even come up with. Oh, my favorite in this genre, I got to say, as an old man, yeah. let me pause here. The one that blows my mind still is this, this subgenre where the headline says, celebrity does something funny in video. You click on it and it's like 500 words telling you, all right, Hold on to your butts. There's a video. There's a celebrity in it. They say something that's popular with the politics, that, that squares with the politics of most college students right now. And then they go on to describe the video, <laughs> almost nice. frame by frame. It blows my mind every time I see one of those. Later in the video, someone will be like, what? why is this here? But it, I guess page views, I guess it works. Yeah, I mean, there's it's 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 totally uh, kind of offensive to I, I think educated people's sensibilities that like you know you spend your entire life going through school and like kind of thinking like oh no you have to put together this like really well written thing in order for it to do well or whatever it's like really that's that's actually kind of not the case anymore and oh, it's yeah, kind of yeah. sad <laughs> so it really is it's but, it's quite sad because it's easier than ever to communicate. And the informal rules of communication are breaking down. So you have more people spewing more nonsense at each other without ever articulating the vague things that they mean to say. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> when there used to be rules, that uh, informal rules even, that were enforced and there used to be typewriters. So there actually was sort of a skill gap between what you thought. There was like a space... There, there are walls between you thinking the thing and you getting it to somebody else. People who couldn't communicate well couldn't, simply couldn't do it as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, the world there, there used to be gatekeepers too, but yeah, now it sort of doesn't matter. If you can put together a website and get more traffic than these sort of quote-unquote prestigious uh, institutions, then, you know... <laughs> it, I, I guess, yeah, feel proud of yourself, but you're not uh, contributing anything other than, but I guess you're making a, a nice living. Like the, I guess obviously the, the latest thing, uh, the latest variation on that theme is the, is the fake news, actual fake news, not Trump's fake news. Yeah. Uh, so getting back though to print and all of this, it's, yeah. it's clear that the model is, is dying. Like the idea it's been, well, yeah, I'm su- I'm surprised it, that it's it's hanging it's, it's, on. It's not really it it's not really the model is is isn't dying because it's actually the same, right? It's still subscriptions and advertising, right? It's like that's still the model, but it's just it's just they, they've just kind of moved. It's like it's like a restaurant in a new location or something, you know? It's like they've they've moved from the newspaper to on the internet. But it's not replacing everything that they're that they were getting, is the danger. That's true. Uh, yeah. Because because you have, I mean, you know, well, we're, we're not the, in journalism. I, I people guess, people have been wringing their hands about this for a while. The, uh, the analogy, I mean, it's like 
they they moved into a taller building that can fit more more restaurants inside or something. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, but it's like there there's just the, the thing is like there's just a the volume of competition is is like is huge. Well, there there used to be that volume of competition. It was just split by geography. So you used to the New York Times would compete with probably just as many news outlets because they were all those news outlets and did not also compete with each other, right? The, like the Bumblefuck Morning Gazette wasn't available to everyone in the world with a computer. True, but then it's not competing with the New York Times. Uh, in Bumblefuck it is. I don't know. Was the New York Times, does that get delivered nationwide? Yeah. Okay. It was, right? But, uh, well, I mean, still, st- certainly it still does now. It still is now. But yeah, they, they had... Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it, was, it was delivered nationwide. I suppose, yeah, maybe it was only like in major cities, though. Yeah, so so you're right. Maybe maybe it didn't get delivered to Bulbuck. Huh. Oh well. So much for that. So yeah, I guess the separation by region, the 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 physical act of getting a newspaper to somewhere else, stopped all these different news organizations from directly competing with each other, which is interesting. Yeah, I I I, I still sort of think it's it's kind of the opposite where. Since there was the geographical separation, I mean, it's like so in, I mean, where I grew up, I mean, like you couldn't get the New York Times. I mean, like, I don't know, uh, maybe in the city, maybe if you went to Baltimore or into D.C., you could. But it was like, even if you went to the 7-Eleven, the New York Times was not there. Huh. Because when I was growing up, it was, for the most part. Well, it's because New York transplants. Yep. Booker Town, Florida. Yeah, I guess if you had enough enough of a population that uh, asked for it. Yeah, okay, so so there just wasn't, huh? There wasn't as much competition. Everybody was just you were you so, were limited uh, how so, far you could reach. Uh, okay, well let's let's just take let's just take me for an example. So in in Annapolis, Maryland, you could you could get the Washington Post, Washington Times, I guess, which nobody got, Baltimore Sun. And there was a local paper called the Capitol, which was like a Anne Arundel County, just kind of a local Annapolis paper. And that was that was it in terms of like I I don't think even the like the Wall Street Journal or USA Today, I you know nobody was was getting that either. So huh. that was like that was pretty much it. It was like you had your pick of it was kind of the almost like the you had two major networks and one PBS channel or something like that. That would be sort of the equivalent. It was like the, at the time, like TV had moved into the cable age, but newspaper wise, it was still in the like 1950s or sixties broadcast TV age. Well, this is, this is interesting to go back and think about it that way because the narrative you get is newspapers are dying, right? Full stop. Yeah. Newspapers are dying. What shall we do? Can they move online fast enough to stave off the uh, the onslaught? Which I, I've, I've got to say, I've been surprised that they've lasted as long as they have. Like the fact that the New York Times is still a thing, is still an organization, surprises me. I well, I would have thought I mean, five years ago that was about it. But they got ahead of the they got ahead of the curve and built a a good uh, subscriber based business model. Yeah. Before well, yeah, before that, everyone else did. Yeah, but that's sort of so that's obviously a great business decision, but that sort of plays into what I'm thinking here next. So the the thing that everyone says is the the internet came 
and the newspapers left. But it's not quite true. It's more like no, the internet it, came, it just, and just, now you could get the best it, newspaper. Yeah, so it, the first it, thing that happened is the New York Times gobbled up yeah. all the other newspapers. Yeah, yeah, it just commoditized the newspaper business. So, I mean, so the the example for that was like I had a college professor who, toward the end of spring semester of my senior year, sort of gave us all uh, advice on, on how we should like put stuff on our resumes. And he said, like, unless you have a 4.0, don't put your GPA on your resume. And because uh, otherwise that just commoditizes yourself. Because then they look at that and they say, well, why don't we just go hire somebody who has a 4.0? Right. And it's like, huh. so now that everybody has access to the Internet and everybody can go read the New York Times, it's like, why would I, even if I'm in Wyoming, why would I read a local Wyoming newspaper if I could go read the New York Times? Right. It's like. It's just uh, the, because you live in Wyoming and you don't like those fucking New Yorkers. Yeah, that's true. But there's enough people who I guess are sympathetic to the New York Times that I'm sure some people in Wyoming must must read it online. Yeah, no that, that'll have it. So, we're kind of getting a little far afield here. Well, th- this well, maybe this, not, leads, not leads, this leads into one thing that I I wanted to actually bring up the next time we uh we, you know, when we actually had this podcast, which is something I texted to you about ten days ago, I, I was I was watching reliable sources on CNN, which is a, which is again a great show. Everybody watch reliable sources because it's uh, it's about how the news gets made and how the media covers things. And somebody this this lady I forget who made this great point that you know this distrust of the media basically has developed ever since these kind of small town newspapers and, and local newspapers kind of folded up. And because yeah. now the media has much less of a, of a presence, like in the communities across America, it's like, you know, that, that paper I mentioned called the Capitol, which is still active in Annapolis, Maryland. Like most people either, like either got the capital or were aware of it and what was in it. And they knew that they could always, you know, go to the newsstand and, and buy a copy if they wanted to read something specific about, because it was, it was all just reporting about local stuff like in uh, the Annapolis area. So the fact that you were sort of plugged into that sort of did sort of it, like, it did kind of hold the community together more. And the thing that you have now is like everybody's on Facebook and YouTube and, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not the same anymore. And one of the things that I sort of, I sort of wondered, and I put this to you in in the text as well. I said like, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to bet that if they surveyed or polled people in those places where, where they say that they hate the media and they say, okay, do you hate the, the national CBS news? Like, yes or no? Like this, this, this national CBS evening news broadcast or whatever. And they'll probably say, yes, I hate them. It's like, okay, but your local CBS station, do you hate that news? <laughs> like, I'm willing to bet that the answer to that would probably be no. Yeah, I think a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, local anchors still have appeal. Yeah, because it's like yeah, there's because because they it's like they're actually doing this 
for me. It's like they're they're reporting all this to. It's like it just it has this kind of local function that I think really appeals to people. And like this, I you know everybody they keep referring to Washington as like this nebulous like like oh my god. We, even Obama was talking about this, like when in the campaign run up in 2008, when he was saying, like, "Well, we need to go in there and change Washington." Like yeah, he, almost like everyone can that. agree in concept that we need to change Washington. Yeah, because the government is vaguely corrupt somehow, all the time, and you can't trust anything they say. Yeah, but you wish it was better. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. That, no, was, pre- I, that was pretty I, much I, the end of the end of my point. So. Well, it's it's look at look at us. Look at look at what we're doing. We're uh, technically on the internet, aggregating something. We we're basing our analysis. We didn't have we didn't make that point. Somebody on this TV show made the point, and now we're talking about it. Yeah, we're but it, but it's it's a good observation. And when we're just talking about how the New York Times uh, didn't face the pressures from the internet the same way that your local newspaper did, because the first thing that happened was the New York Times got an edge over your local newspaper uh, that also siphoned the talent line. So it made, there, was, there has been for decades, I'm sure, uh, a reporting class. You know, people who are pretty clo- cozy with certain politicians can always go to some first source, know the press secretaries, uh, have been in the, have known different presidents, um, ask them questions. But now you get such a concentration at the few remaining print giants. And even those new organizations that function like the print giants, like Politico, tend to be based in these big urban centers uh, and near centers of power. You you have this uh, reporting class that is very different from like like these people probably aren't your neighbors, right? No. <laughs> it's it's a different it's a different world now. Now you're reading now you're reading from people who are potentially very unlike you reporting, even even if you do live in New York or if you do live in Washington D.C. It's it's a small cadre of very dedicated people. So the, this this idea that the um, the media it, it's fun to mock the idea that the media is out to get the Republicans or the media is this or the media is that and it's very uns, uh, unspecific and it can be damaging to just throw out bland and bold generalizations that turn into conspiracy theories. But there's a lot of truth to that idea. Like if you're if you're that person in Wyoming, right, um, and you don't like. The New York Times, and you say oh, they don't respect my values. They they really don't. They yeah. don't probably care that they care about how the games are being played. They care about what the reporter next to them is doing. They care about what the story of the day is because their club has agreed on what the story of the day is. So there's, I, I don't know if I have a yeah. That, that, that's that, an interesting but, way to put it. Yeah, this their club has decided what the news of the day is. Yeah, that is an interesting way to put it because. That is how they And they feel. live in two cities. The yeah. club lives in two cities with a few outliers in L.A. Yeah. Um, and a few scattered throughout the country in, in big cities. But yeah, they, it is a club. Yeah, and uh, like the thing that they, the people who sort of feel that way don't seem to understand is that like, okay, even if they sent, you know, quote unquote, their people to do that job, I, uh, this is something Fox News doesn't seem to get either. Like, I'm not sure they would go and go there and report what happens as as anything different right i mean it's like they oh, still, you mean they, they still re- 
Yeah, I mean, like, like they'd still yeah. go there, and like if they go to like if they're say you know White House correspondent and they cover a press conference, it, it would be like part of the of the tape they would make of the day's events or whatever. I mean, it would just be it would like it's not that different, right? If you're just if you're making it uh, this sort of recap presentation of, of what happened that day, it's uh, the only the only thing that's where things get different is when you have people like Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity doing their uh, sort of pundit uh, shows. I mean, even uh, I was heartened the other day when uh, Brett Baer actually stood up for all those uh, publications that got kicked out of uh, that gaggle or whatever last week. Yeah, Chris Wallace did too, as I heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's good on them. I'm surprised at it. Yeah. So, so you're saying you think the club is not dangerous, but I think there's kind of a point to that sort of mistrust of having it. Because I don't know if I'm if, if if I'm saying that it's not not dangerous. I mean, I, like I, I don't. It, it, it's not dangerous in the in the in the sense you're that saying it's not just just because it is a club doesn't mean it's a, necessarily a nefarious organization or lose right. Yeah, in, in that sense, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that I agree. Yeah, um, that I but yeah, the the idea I, I do agree with you. That Just because they're elite class, everyone in it is bad is silly. But yeah. yeah, it is it because because the club then decides what the news of the day is, and it's always about the same few things. Yeah, that relate and, to those people who live in mostly those two cities. And yeah, if the the, the thing that um, you know people in the real America, I guess don't seem to comprehend is that yeah i mean like like i said a few minutes ago you know if they were to sort of set up this kind of system for reporting for for covering the white house and reporting what happens and stuff like it just like i don't think it would be all that different the only i mean where you do see that it is different is like these conspiracy sites you know like info wars or yeah Bright- breitbart actually does have a, a press credential actually well now um, no they i think they have for a while actually. really they i mean have, it's, they it's been it's in, sure. the, yeah the white house correspondence association is like an independent thing wow. it doesn't have anything to do with who is president so huh. yeah, yeah, yeah even under obama they had oh no no sure. i i yeah. i knew that i meant um i i was surprised that they had one during his administration because I, I i thought they would only be that would have only happened with sort of the. I, I would have thought the White House. Oh, just because uh, they're kind of new. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're new, and I thought they would have been sort of grudgingly handed one on the grounds that well, these people do talk to you guys, so yeah, you should probably be part of this room, this gaggle. That's I'm pretty sure that's an incorrect use of the word gaggle. I'm not part of the club. So, so this is this is where I see uh, an effect of the club. I see it in. Um, uh, how do I say this? In two stories that have recently come out, where the club can be a good thing and the club can be a bad thing. So, this this uh, report that so far doesn't seem to be being picked up by other outlets is disappointing to me. This report about sessions, pretty much straight up lying, and about contacting Russians is amazing reporting. The fact that someone was able to have multiple sources corroborate this story. Have them willing to talk about it. I mean, even off the record, so early in this new administration, have have this news come to light so quickly 
is really impressive. There, there's also a uh, companion story in the New York Times. Well, I mean, not intended to be a companion story, but it functions as one about how Obama administration aides spent about two months leaving breadcrumbs scattered throughout yeah, different agencies. Yeah. yeah, to make make sure that the evidence wasn't destroyed for how much contact there had been between Trump aides and high-level Russian officials, which is six different kinds of terrifying and also weird. This is the sort of thing you can't get without these people, the reporters, I mean, knowing Washington really well, living there a long time, being part of the club, knowing each other, knowing officials at different government agencies, knowing what to say when, knowing what kind of question to ask. It's really remarkable, and it's something that we desperately need when we have a president, and more than the president, who's just a moron, a president's staff who's actively trying to destroy the free press. So th- it's, it's remarkable, it's amazing, it's the kind of thing that this elite cadre of reporters can get you. At the same time, there are a million one stories today about how Oh, President Trump's president now because he sounded presidential. He gave a speech last night, um, his sort of sub-state of the union. I forget exactly what they, they, they call it, the, the one before you've yeah. been in office year. But, and they say, oh, my God, he was, didn't sound as loopy as normal. Therefore, he's now good. <laughs> it's, and this is the dark side of being part of the club. As soon as somebody does something that you like that conforms to your expectations – they're like, well, I'm used to covering these uh, speeches, and this is how it usually happens. Well, I, I would say that it, that CNN last night was like like Van Jones, who I'm usually a, a huge fan of. I just I, I love educated, well spoken black men. Um, just uh, just because um, that frank, sounds frank, like frankly, a fetish, but continue. yeah. Well, frankly, they're just there aren't enough of them on TV. I think, and um, I, I think he speaks well for uh, for his people. So I'd like to see. I know you got that good in your heart, but for some reason, I was really terrified that you were just going to stop it. I thought there. I don't think there are enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> like no, please keep going. So yeah, I I, I turn on CNN toward the end of the speech or whatever. It was right in the middle of that uh, Navy SEAL thing. There's this huge standing ovation. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then the analysis is like uh, that they have on the panel. Or whatever it's like van jones is like giving him like all these praises like oh like after tonight or whatever oh blah, blah, blah. i'm like oh like can we i mean like all he did was stand up there and read a teleprompter and it's like be simply because he was able to do that we're like suddenly saying that like he should be i, I mean I, I i didn't see the whole thing i didn't see much of it but it's like somebody wrote a good speech and uh he gave it and which by the way was not that great of a speech i did not see the entire thing but just highlights experts uh in text and in video it was you know cliches piled into each other that left a lot of wiggle room for him to still do terrible things Uh, it basically made no sense and half the time he would say things like we've got to put a put behind us the stuff that some people do and then go on to describe shit he does on the rag <laughs> the time for uh what was it was uh i, I wanted i wanted him to say trivial pursuits he didn't say that but like trivial fights trivial disputes is behind us I'm like you that's you that's all you do you're the trivial dispute 
and sometimes not so trivial dispute, like the fact that you really, really want to make sweet bareback love to Vladimir Putin. <laughs> that's that's a cool thing for the president to say repeatedly. I like that he gets angry when that happens too. Like even Bill O'Reilly is like, maybe we shouldn't be friends with you know Stalin the second, and he's like, no, I really want to. <laughs> and O'Reilly's kind of asking him why, and he said. Like, Fuck you! I want to. <laughs> I and oh, I and oh by the way, we've done horrible things too. <laughs> like, oh, that was like, that was like, a miracle. He added like, that for like pretty much no reason. But yeah, you um, you are the franchise. You can't throw that shit in there, even if it's true. Which of course it's true that the United States government has done shitty things. You can't just you can't say that when you're the face of the organization. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> anyway, sorry that was that was a tangent. There's also this thing where uh, uh, he's. Uh, saluting this uh, fallen Navy SEAL when it was him, when the SEAL basically died under like Trump's operation or whatever, or, or you know, it's like he's the commander in chief. He's got to sign the 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 um, what do you call it? The letter to uh, to the fallen uh, to the whatever to the to his wife or yeah to the family. Well, that one I not give him a little more. Not taking I can't believe I'm saying this about Trump. Yeah, what bothers me is that he is wants to blame other people for the uh, failure of the operation. But talking about the heroism of soldiers, even soldiers you have sent into harm's way, even soldiers who have died because of missions that you ordered, um, that that's a common thing for presidents to do. So I don't mind the concept. I mind the idea that he's blaming other people for it going wrong publicly. That's despicable. <laughs> for a commander-in-chief, yeah. But... Let's see, what was I going to say here? Okay, so yeah, so those are the things I see. I see uh, Van Jones is uh, obviously on television news, but I saw the print media doing it. It's, uh, I see this, this club of people who, who can get this information and hold the administration accountable. Basically at these two organizations with some assists from um, Politico, as you said, and a few others, but it's, it really is. Uh, the New Yorker does some good work. So, I, uh, so yeah, I, that's that's one of the that's one of the magazines I subscribe to. I, I, sh- I should have said, this, said this at the top, but shout out to uh, the New Yorker, which I think is great. I think their their um, New Yorker Today app is uh, is great. I look at that every day on my phone. Uh, I, I, I subscribe to the Atlantic as well and the Economist. I, I, I love all three. Let's go ahead, New Yorker. All right, yeah, but uh, so the New Yorker's doing good work. I like the Atlantic, but it's, of course, more of a commentary thing. The New Yorker does some good reporting, but it's mostly the Times and the Post that are really getting in there, uh, getting in the administration and getting after these guys. And at the same time, they're, oh, they gaze ever at the navel. <laughs> you know? they're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a contradiction. Maybe not, not, maybe not even a contradiction. It's, it's almost like you can't have this one good thing without these uh, bad side effects. The... Uh, what's the other oh yeah when when president trump um was president-elect trump and he was by the way that's never going to sound normal to say president trump president celebrity apprentice yes <laughs> uh, president celebrity apprentice was the president-elect he ditched his press pool a bunch of times in a row and it was it, was, it seemed at least to me pretty clearly on purpose and just because he's saying fuck you guys and the press threw a hissy fit over and i I couldn't believe their outrage. He's breaking protocol is what they said. If the argument is this guy is trying to immediately hide things from us and it's dangerous because we're a country that's built on, 
on free speech and the free dissemination of information, and we want to know what our leaders intend to do, uh, then that is a dangerous thing. But what they were really complaining about was, hey, we had access and we don't have access anymore. We like to be treated a certain way, and we're not getting treated that way anymore. Yeah, it was very much, it was an entitlement them. kind of thing to me. Yeah, it was. And it, but it's continued. It's yeah. continued, and it's continued um, even when it doesn't seem like it's part of the same thing. This this shit with Trump suddenly being president because he managed not to wet his pants in public for an hour. That it's 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 still it's a different side of that same entitlement. Oh, he talked to us kind of the way we like, therefore he's good now. Yeah, or you know they there's this. On the, on the one hand, it's like, okay, you're entitled to First Amendment rights, right? It's like there is a freedom of the press, yeah. so, like, this shouldn't happen. But at the same time, it's like the – you shouldn't – your attitude shouldn't be like uh, a 16-year-old who didn't get a nice, shiny new BMW for her birthday. That's kind of the attitude that they had. Like, well, where's my BMW? Like that was, that was kind of, that was kind of how it, was it came across. It promised me, you told me I was going to get it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it comes across like that, but the image I get is, uh, it's no, it's no more flattering. Um, it's a group at a country club. Same yeah. things. Well, that's not how we do things here at Watford. <laughs> and that, that's, that's what I get from them at the Watford Glen country club. That yeah, is not that how is, we do things. And that is something that Trump has really effectively tapped into. And I, give him credit for yeah. that though the I, and all the while actually being in that same fucking country club <laughs> like 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 yeah, that's that yeah. that's the thing yeah, it's like that's the con of it yeah i've told you this before the only reason that i think the free press is going to survive because i mean i really think bannon wants to go through the throat is that um trump still wants it to be there he wants better press and he wants to be able to like uh oh yeah because because he, he without went, without a press he can't put on a show and right. that's really right. and what he cares about is putting on a show. And it's weirdly encouraging to me because, you know, when this when he was elected, I really thought we were going dark. I thought we we're going to see journalists in jail. And we still might. Don't get me wrong. With Jeff Sessions heading the Justice Department, we still might see a reporter or two spend some jail time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But um, for now, well, but maybe, I, maybe I really, the next I really episode, thought people Jeff Sessions yeah. would be out. Hey, hey, they, no, got, I, they I, got Flynn out of there very fast. So, well, was, I, was it was he, it the Times or the Post that brought him down? I think it was the Post. Yeah, and uh, who did the profile? It was the New Yorker that did the yeah. long profile after that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess I don't know to to wrap this up. Print is a contradiction because, in a sense, it's still the most powerful. Weirdly, it's yeah. where it's where the actual news is generated. Right is where the actual reporting is done by these these relatively anonymous people, not anonymous within their field, but anonymous uh, and not anonymous to say government officials, but anonymous to the rest of us who who ask the right questions, build up the right relationships, work the same beats for long enough to generate the information that we're getting, and then that's what shows up on your feed, and then people arguing about what it means is what consumes your afternoon on Facebook. Right, that's. That's but the the actual the kernel of truth at the beginning the actual reporting is done still by the print, and they're dying yet they're not dead, and so many smaller print offshoots uh, are dead. So many small local papers are dying and are dead, but a, a lot of that has made the the strongest in some ways stronger. It's also made them more isolated. I mean, print's just a we we desperately need 
the news gathering capabilities and the reporting technique of these organizations. We, we need them. Like the United States can't function without them. Uh, and yet they are an elitist club that probably could stand reformation. And they and their business model, uh, their previous business model uh, doesn't work anymore. So it's just very strange. We really need this 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 loose confederation of elites to work for the rest of us, kind of but not quite for free. And we hope that they can find enough a way to make money for themselves. They can keep doing their public services is also a business. It's a weird. It's a weird section of America is the press. Yeah, the well, well press. here's the here's the interesting thing. So so let's get historical here. I mean. I mean, I was just kind of—I was just kind of thinking about, you know, we talked in in previous episodes about the rapid consolidation of broadcast media, right? How there are yeah. essentially six media conglomerates that just kind of own everything, and newspapers aren't included in that. So there's Viacom, there's Actually, I, I said NBC Universal, um, even though um, it's really it was GE, but now it's Comcast that actually owns NBC and, and Universal Studios. So it's so it's really uh, yeah, so it's really Comcast. Billy, Disney, what up, Disney? Uh, yeah, that's right. They're building a new tower next to their other tower. Like the skyline of Philly oh, they, is. Um, wow, nice. Yeah. The skyline of Philly is, other than uh, the the really cool city hall, is kind of shitty. It's, it's like pretty small. It's like three streets. Uh, streets. It's just not impressive uh, if you've ever been up the road to New York. And so, like sixty percent of the skyline seems to be Comcast buildings at this point. You're like, yeah, there's another giant fucking Comcast car. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so the other ones are uh, Sony, Time Warner, and News Corp. Or I guess maybe I guess it's called 21st Century Fox. They might have retitled it, Fox, but it, it was Century News Fox. Corporation. So yeah, it's like it's those six that basically just own everything in movies and TV. But like newspapers are not included in that. They had their own consolidation. I mean, obviously there were the newspaper barons back in the day, like William Randolph Hearst, who became the unofficial subject of Citizen Kane. Right, they had like their he, he had his newspaper chains. I think there were there were other barons, and it got to this uh, strange point where, as newspapers began to lose money, there were all the there were there was this consolidation. I think slightly before that, so there were these there were these chains of newspapers owned by like the Hearst Company or the I think the Gannett Company was like another one. That, but they were all losing money, right? It's like I think the San Francisco Chronicle was losing like a million dollars a week or something like that, which is depressing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, what, what do you what do you make of that? Because like obviously newspapers and the people doing that kind of hard news reporting, extremely important, and it's like the consolidation thing that uh, sort of ushered in the the sort of new corporate world for movies and TV. It's, I'm just, I'm just trying to think, cause I, I mean, I think the New York times has remained autonomous, but obviously Jeff Bezos of Amazon has, has actually bought the Washington post. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder and if, the, if it's credit, a, so far he's let it run the, the tech companies or something might step in and kind of 
Well, save the day. Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg keeps making feints this direction, but everything that he says is just oh, not promising to me. Jesus. Like, he did that manifesto. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't actually read it. I just read the Atlantic piece on it, and the Atlantic piece on it was not kind. I'm sure. You yeah, read I, it. I read the. Yeah, yep, I, I read the same like, piece. I'm sure you read it because yep. you read the Atlantic, like I do. He's made he's made a few similar broad statements that are they're they're low on direct policy, but I, I think I think he wants to help. But one, he still needs to make his billions, and two, he, well, he he's he's kind of naive. About some yeah, of he's, well, he's, 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 he's very he's, naive about how the world actually views Facebook, right? Because like when, yeah. when, he, when you hear when you hear him actually talk about Facebook, it's like I'm like, what are you describing here? I mean, he's like, I mean, he like he genuinely thinks that like Facebook is like destined to be this thing that's like part of the spine of everyone's life, where you know. Uh, on the in between all the vertebrae are you know all the pictures of your kids and stuff and like it's just gonna be there forever with Facebook you know just collecting all that nice wonderful data about you and he doesn't really see that as like creepy or weird and yeah yeah he's been in it so long that he well because for him it's personal I think right like well no he's like I developed a great service that kind of does everything that that you no, I, I, I fill in the gaps in and, your life, and for him it makes sense. He's like, I made this really cool program for myself, and I'm sharing it with you. <laughs> for the rest of us, it's you've made this thing that got so popular so fast that it's become almost a necessity people, in daily and, life. And the users don't understand what it is at a fundamental yeah. level. Like When they actually get a glimpse, and I mean, I mentioned in the initial media episode about social media, I think I even mentioned like, 10 years ago when there was when the news feed debuted and it was like a shock to everyone's system because everyone realized like oh my god the privacy that for some reason we thought we had is not existing like they're collecting data on this and then they're shoot they're like shoveling it back in everyone's faces through the news feed what's up with that like like i thought this was private and i'm like well you're on a website that's able to track your data and all your behaviors yeah. and everything like, what, and, are you, what are you expecting? All the website does is that. That's the other thing that people sound like. What is Facebook? I like it. Basically, it watches you act, it watches you do, and it records that. That's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's kind of what the what the internet is. I mean, so part of my job is to make uh the my company's website uh which is uh i work for a subdivision of a billion dollar international company basically i help them better collect data on users of its website so it can more efficiently sell to them and there's like yeah. a analytics platform i'm uh pitching to them is, is called crazy egg which basically gives you like exact heat map data of exactly how far people scroll down the page, exactly where the cursor on the page goes. So you can see like, okay, they click on this button, this button, but not that button. So therefore you should probably change the text on that button. So it's, you know, might increase, increase the click through rate or something, or maybe just scrap, just scrap that session, that that section of the site because people, I guess, don't want that. They're not clicking on it. Right. So there's just all these kind of, 
things that is just inherent to the digital experience that you can just track. And with the Facebook and I mean, one of the points of the of the Atlantic piece was something I hadn't thought about, which was, um, and maybe I would have thought about it if I had actually read Zuckerberg's uh, thing, but um, that Zuckerberg just assumes that these news sources are just going to keep providing news yeah. to Facebook. And I don't see why they wouldn't because they sort of, people are like websites are just desperate to get shares on Facebook. Like, so yeah. I don't, I like the, the contention that the writer of that piece had, um, I'm not sure where that, that was a valid uh, criticism or, or point. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if Facebook is this all-encompassing monopolistic marketplace, then you can still expect news organizations to funnel through there. Yeah, I don't I think that will necessarily stop them. I guess on the whole, I'm very confused about print journalism, but I'm some kind of optimistic about it. Obviously, literal print journalism will die shortly. There's there's just no there's no way that's sticking around. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a miracle. I, I said earlier, I, I'm like I'm surprised the the New York Times like as a paper edition still exists it's the change has happened so fast in my lifetime so from newspapers being big business and an important part of everyday life and like you know when i'm 10 years old in 1998 to almost 20 years later you just won't see that anymore that just won't happen shortly shortly and um it's surprising even that it's still there but but i think the apparatus the reporting apparatus that drive to know things and even this class of people this cadre that we're talking about, this elite club, I, I think they'll keep it alive. They'll keep. Uh, it's a very, very American thing. Um, I'm and it's still a, a popular major with like college students. People, people want to know. Stuff. At least people it was hold. was when I was college age. Because I mean, I know what, like when I was in high school, like I wanted to be like a sports writer or something. Like that was. Uh, kind of, yeah. I was really into sports, and that was kind of something I wanted to do. And then I realized, like, there were so many other people who wanted to do it that I was kind of like, ah, well, do something else. Yeah, I think people both want to. People are curious. Americans are extremely curious and kind of dickish about it. Like, we will ask questions until we get some kind of answer. And there's uh, a lot of laws allowing us to do that more safely than in other places in the world. Yeah, so I don't think I don't think the it's going away, which is which is nice, which is good. Um, I I feel essentially positive, even though I have no idea exactly what it will look like. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I agree with your assessment that <laughs> that it, that it that it essentially can't go away because I mean it's just it serves just it serves such an important function in terms of like there have to be reports of stuff happening, right? Like that's just yeah. like that it's, it's necessary for our society to function. So where there's demand, I think there's going to be supply. I mean, I think there, there has to yeah. be some, like if there's an, an actual need for that in society, I mean, there has to be some kind of way for money to find its way there to people to get paid to, to do that. Um, and I think what's going to happen eventually is I actually think you'll start seeing not papers, but I think you'll start seeing local news organizations again. Um, yeah, probably they'll have probably uh, have to be subscription based. Yeah, it'll probably be they'll, like they'll advertise blog. through probably Facebook. be like blogs or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they to some extent they have that already in the form of like 
like blogs or something. But yeah, but I'm thinking you'll see. Um, I think you'll see actual, like maybe even loosely organized. But I think you'll see actual news organizations where there's some kind of editing. They um, at least aspire to adhere to the old journalistic rules. I think you'll start seeing that again. You're you're already seeing things like that. It's just you're, you're seeing a lot of on the front lines. This is where it was like at you know the protest or the town hall meeting, or whatever. You're seeing from left and the right, but it's it's not. Um, well, to go back to to sports. I mean, I, I really this is actually interesting that I, I keep I keep coming back to sports. But the site that I actually look at a lot. Is like the C, the Comcast Sportsnet Mid Atlantic <laughs> website just because there's a lot of like Wizards news and they actually have like Wizards reporters and you know people who are just on that beat and I guess they have like a couple columnists and it's like that is kind of um, you know obviously uh, a particular niche that would just be the sports section of a of a newspaper yeah but. The the other thing about about sports that I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about the uh, the sort of viral marketing that some of these uh, websites do with just hijacking other people's content is you know I saw a couple of years ago that the way the sports journalism wor- world used to kind of work was you know obviously you wouldn't start out as a columnist right away you'd start out as a as a reporter you'd like be assigned a, a team's beat but even before you got to do that you'd have to like cover kind of the college or high school sports or typically you'd have to like basically write you know game recaps of like division 2 and 3 games and what i saw was that i think it was like the associated press was basically cutting out those jobs and just and like nationwide they were pretty much cutting out those sort of entry level reporting jobs of 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 reporting division two and division three games and just they were basically setting up some kind of like computer algorithm to like just churn out some kind of a article and like spin something up based on like they would just like feed in the box scores and and names and stuff and they would, would just kind of churn it out Based yeah, on, I've heard uh, about this uh, sort of software a few times now. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, that's. I, I think that kind of is uh, an unfortunate part of the future. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's gonna happen. Um, it's funny. I'm usually uh, a, a total luddite. I'm terrified of almost every new thing that comes around, but that's one that doesn't scare me too much because that that actually is quite perfunctory. Like uh, box scores, recaps, those things are. Uh, they're they're not well uh, or. or Game recaps are not ever. You don't need to have a human write those. Right, as someone that, who's read that's, thousands, that's how some people get started, though. Like, like that's the eh. difference between some people maybe starting their career in journalism and going on to doing, you know, something bigger, and maybe having to quit and going to do something else. Right. It's just it sh- it shrinks the pool of of overall journalists. Yeah. And so I guess I'd worry more if I thought that sports were as vital. Um, True. I'm, I'm just saying like that's an apologies. example. They could probably, I, I don't th- they'll probably start doing that kind of thing with other, other aspects news? of life. Yeah, other, other news. Yeah, I'm sure they'll figure out some I, kind I, of way. I, I think that would be harder to do. I think there will probably always be value in someone uh, actually being there because you're not just 
reporting the events. You're deciding what's important within the events. With a, within a sport, you can tell pretty clearly, this player scored the most, this is kind of how the game went. But you, you have to describe a little bit more than that. You have to pick, pick apart why something's important. You can't just re- relay what somebody said. If you're doing a game recap, you're literally just saying, this is what they did. If you're going to a Sean Spicer press conference, you're saying, this is what he said, this is why it was scary and crazy, even though you can't say that explicitly if you're adhering to journalistic code. You have to explain why it's important that this crazy person said these wild things. So yeah, I'm I'm a little less worried for yeah for sports uh, journalism maybe. Here's the thing. Here's, the, here's the thing. For... So what 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 will happen is I mean this is this really isn't even new. Um, what'll happen is so with any given event here's 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 basically the equivalent of you know how I mentioned the the Huffington Post got their start by aggregating a huge amount of content, um, but it was sort of more more human driven. But you can basically do the same thing now. You know if you have like some like you know, some kind of Breitbart-ish sort of bent to the site where the the columnist and comment, commentary section of the site is sort of very um, attention-grabbing. And then with the reporting aspect of the site, all you really do is just aggregate other reports and you basically have like some kind of algorithm, you know, doing that. And it doesn't take any sort of human <laughs> involvement. <laughs> That doesn't sound threatening, but the well, problem that, that sounds threatening. Yeah, I'll say that's it, that that by its by itself. If that's just one site, doesn't sound threatening to the industry as a whole. But if suddenly you know there's a lot of money in that, there's a huge feeding frenzy with like all sorts of other sites like that, basically sucking up all the traffic that would otherwise go to New York Times. Washington Post stuff like that. There's this constant threat of legitimate. Uh, there's this constant threat of like people tr- constantly trying to suck traffic away from legitimate uh, enterprises. It's like a so, fact, it's a fact of the internet, pretty much. So what you're telling me is that this is the first time. It's probably the first time since November seventh that I've evinced any sort of positivity. Any kind of optimism, <laughs> and you're telling me I can't have this. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> oh well. Well, I guess we'll have to leave it there. I'm still. So uh, I'm it's, still. It's just, it, well, I mean, the good news about even even in that about kind of everything in the even in that kind of situation journals. where all these uh, zombies from The Walking Dead pretty much go around feasting on, you know, the all, all these all these all these basically dying. Uh, newspapers i don't think the new york times or washington post are going anywhere ever and that i hope not that gives me a lot of hope yeah because they're really strong institutions and they're important and even when well-known publications make missteps like like roll like rolling stone did with the uh was that when you were in china or did that happen? No, before no, that, that was no, no, that was. I'm uh, trying to remember. Yeah, that was a while before. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, a rape on campus. Yep, they had a. Recall. Yeah, and that's like, and so they got, they wrote the story, which was bogus, and then I think they're probably still facing a lawsuit for that, and so they pretty much had to uh, take Peter Travers and David Frick, the uh, 
editor in chief off of staff and uh, and make them contributors instead. Which, uh, pay cut, and I'm assuming benefits cut too. That I I think uh, first of all I think I think something like that, that kind of stuff does threaten smaller uh, publications. I don't think the post or times would, even if that kind of thing were to happen, I don't think uh, that would have the same effect. Huh. So I'm, I'm more bullish, I guess about the future of journalism as a practice, as an ideal. I don't know that those specific organizations will be there forever, but I am heartened by how strong they have been. In hey, hey the, econ- of- the economist has been there forever for like over 150 years, I think. So, huh. Hey, there's hope. And the, the Atlantic, I think has been there since like the late 1800s. Uh, uh, the Atlantic's a little more commentary than hard yeah. reporting. Most time, but I do like the Atlantic for the most part. But. All so, right. Well, uh, yeah. let's, let's leave it at me being happy about the future. Let's let me, let me have this nice thing. And yeah. we can talk about something miserable next time. There will be plenty. There will be plenty of grist for the mill because our president is the host of the Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. Still. Well. Hasn't been impeached yet. Sessions is going down, man. But, uh, All right. yeah. That'll be, we'll, that'll be uh, for the post if that's the case. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll, we'll uh, regroup and uh, come up with something else to talk about for the next episode. And uh, Something else. Something yeah. else. See you next time. I'll see you. Break. Hey guys, Eric Mack here again, and uh, thank you for listening to episode number eight of Liberally Correct. Uh, we do appreciate you listening all the way through and uh, getting to listen to us babble on and on and on. So I forgot to mention the song at the top of this episode. Um, it was a talk show on mute by Incubus from their 2004 album, A Crow Left of the Murder, uh, one of my favorite albums. And um, to close this out, I will go with a song that uh, is also from that album. It's uh, It was a big hit uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, but uh, seems like it was uh, it's eerily prescient, kind of written with Donald Trump in mind. So... Uh, This is called Megalomaniac.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.